everyone, and welcome to the LTL show. Uh, I'm your host, Jack Moore. So I'm one of the directors of WeShape, which is a technology consultancy based in London. Um, just a reminder of what, what, what the LTL show is. Uh, so we're going to be speaking to the most interesting names in technology, leadership uh, and business and uh, we're going to be speaking about their experience, their stories, their backgrounds, uh, and hopefully some, some interesting and funny uh, stories along the way. Um, so today we're, we're fortunate enough to be joined uh, by Dominic Monkhouse. Um, so Dom set up Rackspace in the, in, the, in the early days in Europe in 2001, took them to 150 people uh, and 26 million. Uh, he was the MD of Peer One Hosting took them to uh, 30 million in five years here in the UK. I think globally it was uh, $90 million to $200 million. Uh, he coaches leadership teams in multiple businesses and is also the, the author of recent book, uh, F Plan B. Dom, how, how are you doing? I'm very well indeed. Very well indeed. Great Lovely stuff. to talk to you this morning, Jack. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, do you want to give our audience a quick, I suppose, overview of who you are, uh, and what you do, Dom? Um, well, I think I think your your intro's been uh, quite detailed there. Yeah, I work with CEOs and the leadership teams of technology firms at the moment. Typically, those that are looking to you know growing at twenty percent a year, year over year, or more, or have a desire to double their businesses in three years. Some of those businesses are PE backed. Uh, some of those are privately owned and are looking to do an exit. Nice. Great stuff. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, 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 Don, what I like to do uh, here on the LTL show, I suppose, to give our audience a bit of an uh, intro to you, kind of understand who you are a bit better. It's a bit raw, a bit of fun, but we do a quick fire round. So I'm going to ask, so what I'll ask you is to, is to, to just think of the first thing that kind of comes to your head. Uh, it's going to be quite fast paced. There's some funny questions in there. There's some serious questions in there. So, um, so yeah, let me know when you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, ready. Cool. So, what do you see as the CEO's top priority? Uh, people. Favorite I, 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 oh, sorry. sorry I'll, for the quick fire round, I'll just say just kind of quick uh, answers as quick as you can. So people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, favorite takeaway? Indian. Nice. One truth you believe in that most people disagree with you on? That motivation is internal. Nice. Uh, when in the office, uh, do you wear a suit or smart casual? Shorts, almost 12 months of the year. Really? <laughs> That's the best way to be. Um, it, I mean, what's your favourite company brand, Dom? Oh, the one that comes to mind first is Riverford, the organic veg guys, mainly because oh, nice. they, sent, they sent me a free cookbook and I was reading that yesterday. <laughs> nice uh, office based or remote um well uh, my office is on the farm so it's physically not at home but it's only 50 feet from home yeah oh that's that's quite useful um if if you could work on solving any problem in the world uh what would that one problem be dominic uh look i the purpose of the business that i have is to take the mystery out of growth and that's yeah. what I spend my time doing. Nice. What, uh, at which company were you most successful um, and, and why? Obviously, you can take a bit more time on this, Dom, now. 
Ooh, you know, it depends on success. I, I suppose uh, Pier 1, yeah. where, you know, I, I suppose that I'd, I'd learned more stuff along the way and we put it, we put it into action in a systematic way and then, and then had a great, had a great exit. Yeah. I remember Pier 1 back in the day when they first kind of, uh, you, you guys, were based, was it based um, uh, down by the coast somewhere? Yeah, we were in we were in Southampton. So you know, when we opened that office, people in London said, "Are are you sure you'll be able to get enough talent?" And you know, it's a long way away from London. It's like it's an hour and a half from London, and they've got TV and the wheel and electricity and everything in Southampton. So getting talented people was fine. Oh, there you go. Uh, last couple of questions: uh, early bird or night owl? Early bird. Nice. Tell me something interesting about yourself, Dominic. This is the last of the quick fire round questions, so you can you can take your time and, and kind of open up on that one. Well, one of the things I nicked from uh, I, I'm a magpie, and so I tend to visit businesses and spot something that I think would absolutely fit in a different context. And I stole something from What If, who are an innovation business now owned by Accenture. And right. one of the things that they had is on the walls they had their staff had the top ten things you don't know about me. And so stole that. And the one thing that most people don't know about me is that I'm one eighth Nepalese. Really? Well, there you go. My, yeah, my, my, my great grandmother was Nepalese. Oh, nice. Cool. Interesting stuff. So thank, thanks for that, Dominic. I mean, that's the quick fire, fire round. So you can kind of, I suppose, sit back in your chair a bit now and uh, uh, <laughs> go down. So, um, yeah, so the next few questions, obviously, are going to be a bit more, more, more detailed. So take your time and, and, and open up because I know a lot of our audience are, are really excited to hear from you. So, so, yeah, I mean, let's kind of go back to the early days of, of Rackspace uh, specifically. So building it here in the UK and Europe, I mean, are there any, I suppose, key points or, or, or learning curves, uh, I mean, that you wish you knew back then uh, that you know now that would allow that, that kind of growth to be even more, more, more fantastic? Um, I think that if I think back to, you know, when we got to about 150 people in the UK, what, what had we done well and what hadn't we done well? And some of the things we, yeah. we had done very well. We, we were traveling so fast. I don't think we had really uh, nailed down how to train people. We probably could have got better at recruitment. You yeah. know, we still had a, we still had a, you know, we were just outside the M25 in Uxbridge or just on the M25 at Uxbridge. And, um, you know, a third of our staff came out from central London and two thirds traveled in. So, you know, if you had your time again, you probably wouldn't put it there. It's the, yeah. it's the worst. It's the worst of both worlds. It's in the middle of nowhere having to pay London salaries. I've been there um, a few times myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, I, it's a beautiful office as well. It's, it's probably more beautiful inside than out. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, well, and so, so I think, I think fixing the location earlier would have been, uh, would have been a good thing to have done in hindsight. Yeah. And then the other thing would have been, you know, I still had 26% annual staff turnover in that, yeah. in the last year I was there. And so that was, that was too high. So we hadn't really nailed getting, or we hadn't got fantastic at recruitment. We hadn't, we weren't getting it right 80% of the time, which is, which is, my aim now when I'm working with clients is how do we make sure we only hire a players or, or a player potential 80% of the time. And so I think if we'd, if we'd put it somewhere else, then those two things combined would have meant we'd have got, 
we'd have got better people, mm. more better people quicker. And to your first question on the, the you know the rapid fire round, what is the CEO's number one job? And I think it's that it's that it's people getting the right people on the bus. Yeah. Now it's interesting you say because I mean I mean from my personal experience, I remember with Rackspace, um, they used to have a funny sort of stage in the interview process where they would ask you to draw a picture. Uh, of, of of what something that 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 you're passionate about. I remember talking yes. to a lot of people, and they would be like, "That really threw me off that question." Um, so some people tried to draw like a I don't know a red fedora hat for red hat because obviously it was a big Linux um, Linux function back then. Uh, but yeah, I always thought that was a really interesting uh, way of, of of an interview process in the early stages. Yeah, well, the, it's, well, it's funny because I remember at Pier 1, I interviewed somebody from Rackspace and she said, oh, I see you've stolen this uh, draw a picture idea from Rackspace. I said, stolen it? Stolen. I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was the guy who made it off. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, so, yeah, we just, it, what we did is we, as we were trying to grow out the recruitment, so when I could no longer do all of the recruitment, it was, it was what process did we put in place? So we had we had something else that we could talk about to get to try and, you know, when people say hire for attitude, you know, everyone says, Oh, we hire for attitude and we yeah. train skill. And then you say, well, how do you do that? And they go, Oh, Oh, I don't know. Like, isn't that just what everybody says? I didn't know you actually had to do something. So what we would do is we would say, here's a packet of colored pencils. You have 10 minutes blank sheet of a four paper, please draw what it is that motivates you and inspires you. And then in the next, 20 minutes when we come back in what we're going to do is we're just going to ask them questions about that drawing and we're just going to say what is this and what is this and what is this and tell me more about that and tell me more yeah. about that and and we found that people would tell us all of the things that they had promised themselves that they weren't going to tell us when they came for interview yeah yeah um and you would get a sense of you know is it about them is it about the team and because you're trying to because, because i don't believe it's my job as a manager to motivate you it's my job to hire people who are intrinsically motivated who who will who will come to work to do a great job. And so I'm using that to try and filter them out. And what it meant was that the later on, when I was no longer doing all of the interviews, I could sit there sort of as a review on a Friday and say, okay, show me the CV, show me your interview notes, show me their drawing. What were their Gallup strengths? Yeah. And I could say, I've got no, if you want to hire this person, I have no concerns. Or I would say, I'm concerned about this in their drawing. I don't know. I, you know, uh, I remember here at, uh, at the company, Monkhouse and Company, where I was interviewing last year, and um, this young lady turned up to, and she did a drawing, and it and it was three pictures of her, yeah. all in red, and, really? I, and I just and it and it just you know because it you get you get a sense of what does a good picture look like, yeah, but yeah. not the fact the the fact is that no, that in, I think in twenty years of doing this, only one person has ever shown any artistic talent, but that's not the point. In her case, I looked at that picture and went, she's only used red. And it's three pictures of her. This is all about her. Yeah. And and so then so then I was asking her questions about the team and her colleagues and and it was obviously she was just all about her. And yeah. so it wasn't going to be a fit at all. And so it's that, you know, creating a system that actually maybe it put I mean, I have had people who've turned up and I said, I'd like you to draw a picture, and they said, I'm not drawing a picture. It's like, okay, fine, bye. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard a few people that as well. And I, 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 like when I said earlier, it kind of threw people off. I think, I think like you mentioned, it kind of throws down that guard a bit. Like because you go into into an interview saying, right, this is what I'm going to say, this is how I'm going to do it. But it kind of, I suppose, almost opens 
them up and you get to i suppose sense a bit of a like their real personality shine through so yes absolutely because we've, we've taken the cv we've put the cv to one side and i just want to talk about you and like you yeah um and i think i think when people are often you know in a recruitment what they're going to do is they might later on they might get um they might be counter offered and so particularly if this interview around the picture is being done by the person who's going to be their manager i think it's very powerful because now they've had maybe they've had half an hour with this person just talking about themselves and this person is just asking questions and listening and you know you just think well when was the last time you sat down with your manager and they were interested in you not yeah. about work but just interested in you for half an hour and i think that's quite rare no, so I so i think i think it helps early on build some rapport and trust with this person that you're potentially going to give up this stuff over here that you know well and jump ship and take a risk um and i think that not only did it help us as a filter but it helped it helped us with getting the getting the pr prospective employees over the line yeah no i mean i mean i mean you also advise uh, like a, a lot of businesses right a lot of technology businesses i mean do you do, do you see like issues like this come up uh, quite often. I mean, what what are the most common issues that you tend to see when kind of advising your customers and, and tech businesses and, and businesses in general? Well, well, we we absolutely do a talent assessment. Um, yeah. So you know, we use the definition of a a player from top grading, Brad Smart's top grading, which is that you're after the ten percent of available talent for a given job in a given location at a given salary. And so one of the things I do with organisations is we we get we get the executive team to rate everybody in the company on that sort of abc right. based on performance and then we say okay well and then there's a values lens and so would any of these people also not be a values fit um one of the things that throws throws up is often organizations have what we call toxic a's so yeah. there might be sales people or their network engineers or software developers and and the organization thinks they're going to be hard to hard to replace uh, or that they're delivering uh, on on their job. You know, they're an exceptional performer, but actually they're a dick. And what we're, we're doing is we're, we're we're pushing, we're putting up with them. And and so you know, this shines that that activity shines the spotlight on those people. And like you know, now we've got to let's make a decision. Let's get rid of them. Let's replace them. Let's give them some feedback and see see if they can fix their behaviours. Does happen occasionally, not very often. Uh, and if not, let's let's have a plan to replace them because the, this business would be a better business without them. Yeah. Um, and then where else have we got people who are not performing or not a values fit? Let's get rid of them. Um, do some work around our A players and identify what the values look like. And then let's let's have a plan to recruit more of those A players. So let's get really clear on what the values are that we're looking for in in new hires. And so that leads us on to a review of the recruitment process and making that um making that really tight yeah. so that uh so that so that that so that that works um so that that's the people bit and then the other thing is i suppose every client who i've ever sat down with has said that they have a strategy and then we go through a strategy review process and we find that the strategy they thought they had isn't maybe the strategy that they need hmm. um and and that most of them would say they have a business plan but in reality what they have is an excel spreadsheet that shows them how the revenue and costs might change over time but that that's not actually an execution plan. Yeah. 
Um, so we put that in place and we, and we change, I suppose we change one of the, one of the fundamental things is we change the cadence of the business from an annual plan. So three years of a plan to get to a goal in three years time to 12 quarters. And we go to a 90 days, 13 week, 13 weeks of sprint for 90 days that where we're going to be in 90 days, let's up the cadence and let's up the transparency, um, and make sure that we're the executive team are focusing on a smaller number of things and getting them done yeah and so they're sort of three i suppose they're three of the things that um that come up most of the time and that have and that have an, a material immediate impact yeah okay so dom let's let's talk about your your, your book right so you've recently released uh, a new book so f plan b um do you want do you want to tell it i suppose it's best coming from the horse's mouth well, i mean do you want to tell us what it's about and, and i suppose what drove you to write it um i often people ask me as you did you know what did i learn at rackspace yeah uh and and what what am i i've done differently so i took the sort of five principles and and 10 pillars if you like that i'd learned at, at rackspace and pier one and you know we the tools we used at rackspace were Vern Harnish's Rockefeller Habits, Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team, the work of Jim Collins, um, which I guess appears now more succinctly in Vern's second book, Scaling Up. And I'd say it was, uh, I'm now coaching those tools, but if I think back to Rackspace and, and Pier One, what what would be the principles? So I, did, I, don't talk, I don't talk at all really about strategy and strategy formation, but it's about about uh, what what are the five principles and then 10 things that, no. that I learned along the way that people should focus in on. Okay, cool. And, and, and I guess, and I guess that the, why the title? Yeah. And I, well, I think, love the title. Think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now the, the, the hardest thing is what would the title for the second book be? You know, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's the question there. But um, what really that it was Rex, Space and Pier One were both people businesses. They're both IT services businesses. Yeah. You know, in both cases, what we're trying to do is at Rackspace, we were trying to become the Ritz Carlton of IT services. Yeah. And that, you know, fanatical support was our was a sort of our our purpose. And so, you know, plan B was that, you know, that it's doubling down on that. Like if we are a services business, let's be the best service business in the world. If that is our differentiator, yeah. then let's not have a plan B. Let's just execute plan A. And and so often that's that's what I'm trying to do with clients is what is your difference? Let's not try to be the biggest or fastest. Let's not try and be a competitor on on one of their uh, on one of their attributes. Let's find our unique space in the marketplace and and double down on that. Um, hence hence the title. Title. No, it's uh, it's, uh, it's available on Amazon. So I'll put I'll put a link as well uh, for you, Dom, uh, on the video below. But yeah, so I mean, I mean, moving on. I mean, given the current economic climate, uh, I mean, a lot of business leaders are going to, I suppose, be thinking about and, and having to make very difficult decisions. I mean, as a business coach, uh, Dom, what I mean, what advice would you be giving to these leaders at the moment? Um, I I think that. Certainly, across the clients that I work with, there the impact that the pandemic has had on them has been very different. Yeah. You know, at one end, at one end, I've had a client. We had one client who 
really their revenue went to zero on day one. Oh my god! Yeah. And but they've pivoted twice. Yeah. And they're now, you know, they've now picked up a large deal, which gets them through to next year, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had some clients who zero, whose revenue went to zero and is sort of slowly climbing back up. And um, in all cases, I think people have taken the opportunity to look hard at, at their employees. And, you know, one client last year ran an ad for some sales talent, new sales yeah. talent, and got a bit of... It bit was at the you know the the response was a bit iffy. This year they've been uh, they had to turn their ad ad off after two weeks. They they ran an ad an ad a couple of months ago, and because they had 130 CVs pile in in the first two weeks, really? and so and so you know again going back to that talent thing, yeah, and, and looking at your talent, you know, now is a actually I think is a fantastic time to bring in some t- some some new talent that my own experience in the team here is we you know we just hired just hired two new people and you know fantastic available a fantastic availability particularly around uh interns or um apprentices yeah you know, that lots of people had had those things graduates had those things teed up and large firms killed that and so i've had you know we've done it here we've hired two marketing apprentices and and a number of clients have done the same thing they've gone into the marketplace looking for graduate talent and have been able to pick up phenomenal people um that you know maybe they last year they weren't running they didn't have graduates coming in you know at Rackspace when I left that 150 people that you refer to yeah about 50 of those people were graduates that we'd hired over that sort of the last sort of three or four years of, of my time there really um, most of them had come in through in, in into a, into the sales organization but then they had found themselves in in often in operations roles as well yeah and so I've I've always been you know if you can hire for attitude, then you just have, you know, particularly with a large number of graduates in the business, you just have passion and energy and vitality and, uh, you know, that you can't help optimism that, you know, just yeah, affects yeah, the course. whole organization. And these people always are always the people that want to, I suppose, learn new things, right? Want to throw themselves at new projects out of their comfort zones. Uh, and, and I suppose are key when, when, when scaling a business, really. Yeah, and the other thing is is also I you know don't be too precious about them joining for life. You know, there's a yeah. there's a fan, there's a there's a fantastic sort of concept that one of my clients uses tour of duty, which is you know look I'm going to hire you ostensibly you know for the next two years let's talk about what this tour of duty looks like. What are yeah. you committing? What are we committing? And then at the end of you know as you get towards the end of that tour of duty, you know you're going to stay in the same job. You're going to you know actually having open conversation with people about where they where this job might take them or where they might be next and it's a result if somebody comes and does you know somebody comes and does great work for you for two years and then goes somewhere else that's not a failure if you're you know if you're particularly in technology if you're growing fast then there will be there will be some staff turnover as people go stepping stones from you to somewhere else um you know if you've got if you've got more people than you can fit into your management ranks even if you're scaling then some good people will will go elsewhere and let them go with your blessing yeah i mean it also like i mean i think that's really really an interesting point i think 
not a lot of people do it enough, but sitting down with someone at the start of that, that journey with them and saying, look, this is what we want to kind of achieve out of this position. This is what we want you to do in this two years. What, what do you want to kind of get out of it in two years? And then after that, two years, if that, if that is that, well, look, if you, if you want to move on to, to maybe a big company or a startup or something like that, that's fine. Like, I, I think it's, it's a very grown up way of, uh, of, I suppose, almost like managing and, and, and recruiting for your team. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people do that enough. And, and like you say, I think people do feel very personal, take it personally when, when people do want to move on. Well, um, I, I think it's because, they haven't, it, it's because they haven't had that. They haven't had those conversations. You know, it's, it's if you work for me, what's best for you. Right. And if going and working for another company. So whilst you're here, how can I give you those skills so that you can go on and do that? Yeah. You know, your next step. It might be that you don't leave and that which case, fine, you changed your mind. You want to stay. But but if if that's the if that's the job that you want to do, then if that's the path that you set yourself, then I'd much rather work with people who've got a plan. Yeah, then yeah. have a team of people then a team of people who turn up every day with no plan and the only reason they're still here is because they don't have a plan. Exactly. You know, I could probably do with upgrading the team at that point. No, definitely. Um and I think you also find people almost kind of like hiding in corners and and not really testing themselves or even performing in the in their current position, uh, which I think is is not an ideal situation. But like the world's dramatically changed since the start of the year. Um I mean you, you mentioned obviously it's a good time to take advantage of, of maybe some of the talent that's on the market where, where maybe enterprise businesses aren't, aren't as heavily recruiting or, or, or their graduate schemes aren't, aren't kind of taking place. I mean, London's like a ghost town at the moment. Do, do you have any advice for businesses almost trying to adapt and, and, and almost survive in this kind of new world? So it's, it's quite a tough time out there. Um, I mean, not everyone can kind of look at kind of bringing in new team members. Is there any advice that you would give for, for maybe business leaders in this position? In, in talking to executive teams, I, I'm, you know, and having looked at some data that Microsoft published about their own organization, yeah. days, have, days have got longer. It looks as though Microsoft was saying the volume of Teams conversations between six and midnight has doubled. And uh, on average, their team's days have got 20% longer. So people are working an extra day a week, right? They're working effectively six-day week, and they're working, people are working from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. But their productivity hasn't gone up. People aren't delivering anymore. So, um, and at the beginning, people were quite upbeat about working from home, but I now get this sense that people are starting to feel just a little bit overwhelmed by this 12-hour day or 14-hour day. And... And were certainly some people were looking forward to getting back into offices and some clients had got sort of 30 or 40 percent of their teams. Others I was talking to last week were at 50 percent. And then, of course, the world, you know, the lid's been shut back on the box again. Uh, and so I was I was sensing in the last few days from from leadership teams, just just some exhaustion and almost depression. Yeah. Uh, you know, people are doing spending a lot of time in email. People are spending a lot of time in in on Zoom or Teams or Meet. And it's just sort of oppressive. And so I think one of the things is focusing in on the one or two things that make a difference every day. And so, you know, if you're in sales, might be revenue, but then what's your leading indicator? Is that, is that you know, building the pipeline? Is that, is that selling conversations? Are you having 5, 10, 15 selling conversations every day? Yeah. And focusing in on that, you know, so that you can say no to stuff. You know, say no to Zoom meetings, you know, 
Uh, even some firms saying, look, our default meeting is now 25 minutes instead of an hour. Because if we know if we do 25 minutes, that forces everybody to turn up and be sharper and, yeah. you know, get to the point. Um, and even not allowing people to multitask, right? It's dead easy on a Zoom call. Let's do some email while we're there. But if you're doing that, you're not present. And that whole everybody spending their time not really present, everybody spending their time eight hours a day on Zoom or Teams and also doing their email at the same time. It just, people are just exhausted and have no sense of job satisfaction at the end of the day. So right. change some of those, change some of those um, simple things around meeting etiquette. You know, if you're on Zoom, you're on Zoom or you're on Teams and, and no email, no phone, no WhatsApp, just absolute focus. Let's get this meeting done. What's the purpose of the meeting? Yeah. Do the people, are, are all of the people on this call, do they all need to be here? And some of that sort of basic stuff, whereas at the beginning, I think it was everyone was happy to be on every call and everyone was happy to share because it was really novel being, it was being the at home. Thing, yeah, the novel's worn off now, 100%. Yes. And now it's like, how do we, how do we make, the, how do we get the best from this tool and stop these tools uh, just? sap yeah because because you know the idea is you know if you if you roll forward and say what would the new normal look like well maybe we're in the office three days a week where we were at home one or two days what would we do at home well frankly there's no point in being at home if all you're going to do is email if the, the point about being at home uh you look, you look at cal newport's book uh, deep work you know it's being at home is about doing things where you don't get interrupted being at home is about doing work that doesn't involve email and zoom yeah. so uh you know if it's about socializing, well, that's frankly much easier to do in the office. So um, carving out some time in the day, each day or on specific days of the week, whilst we're all still working at home and doing deep work that involves individual concentration and blocking the rest of the world out, I think would be is very useful for people's sense of personal achievement and yeah, yeah. And, and 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 getting those days down from twelve hours back to a more meaningful number. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I know, I know, kind of what you're saying, kind of would 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 kind of uh, progress to this. But I mean, is there anything leaders should be thinking about to keep if things get worse, etc.? Uh, well, look, it's a, it's it it's more of that, isn't it? It's it's a marathon, not a sprint, uh, and. And one of the things that we do when we're actually going back to the talent assessment thing, one of the things we do is we create a job scorecard for people so that everybody says, what are the one or the two things that we're going to measure you on every day? Um, and, and I find most people actually don't know the answer to this. So, you know, understanding what individuals should be delivering each day. What does a, what does a great day look like? And then have you got the tools in place so that the individuals can see the score at the end of the day? So at the end, at five o'clock, if I'm in your team, what do I have to have done for this to have been an A day? Yeah. Because then other, otherwise tomorrow when, I, when, when we're huddling in a daily huddle, I can't, I can't ask for your help to help me have a better day tomorrow than I had yesterday because I don't, I don't know the score. You know, nobody goes and plays football and finds out the score. You know, you know the score in the game, right? You know that you've got to push for an equaliser in the second half, right? Yeah. And 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 so it's it's you've got to, people have got to have the same sort of rules. What's my position? What's what game are we playing? What are the white lines? What's what's the contribution that the team are expecting from me? And I need to be able to know that score in real time. And if I've got that, then I, that actually helps me say, right, well, 
I can't do email all day. I'm going to, I can only do email four days, four hours or in the afternoon or in chunks because I've got stuff that I need to do. And the team, the team know that I'm not available because I'm working on the thing that they're counting on me for. Yeah. And that, that clarity of, of output and, and measurement is often missing. Yeah. I mean, what, 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 I mean, when people, obviously on the topic of motivation, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, on mentorship? Uh, I mean, do you, you, do you still have a mentor? I mean, what, what, like, what do you think? And, and also, what are the key attributes that you think make a good Um, Yes. Uh, one of the things that I do with a number of my global coaching colleagues, so we're all, in de- we all have independent businesses, but we collaborate yeah. on, on ha- sales and marketing, best practice or delivery. So I spend quite a lot of time in the week. I probably spend four hours a week talking to colleagues around the world, yeah. helping them and them helping me. Um, so I think it's, it's absolutely vital because you, you're, you're trying to challenge yourself. It's very easy to get you know, your own worldview. You look in the mirror and you think you're right. And so you want to talk to people who are different, who have a different perspective, even different personality. Uh, so you don't spend your time in, in the echo chamber. I yeah. think there's a difference between coaching and mentoring. So I think you, your, your, I, my view of it is your mentor has, has some expertise in the thing that you do. And yeah. so that they, there's knowledge that they can impart. And, and if, I'm, if I'm working with a CEO of a tech firm, then sometimes I'm, I guess, mentoring. Other times I'm coaching where, you know, one of our clients is, she's the CEO of a multi-academy trust. And so do I have, I have no direct experience other than as a pupil in education. Yeah. And so there it's def, I'm definitely coaching um, where I'm asking, mostly asking questions and trying to get, the uh, trying to get in in Hazel's case, getting her to reflect on her challenge and what she might do differently. Yeah. Um, but I I think I think as I as I think about my own success, I probably always had certainly from the first time I ended up with a, any sort of serious managerial position, or even mm-hmm. I suppose back even at Marks and Spencer's my first sort of graduate trainee job. You know, there, there were coaches and mentors in place formally and informally and yeah. just that you know n- you know if your manager's not telling you you're doing a good job well you know you're looking for that from somebody else 100%. and so it, and and you're looking for some challenge as well even if your manager thinks you're doing a good job and you might be in that company in that context but you know where are you going what does the future look like what what other things do you need to work on or develop to to be more successful yeah I know. I mean, a lot of what you coach is around the Rockefeller habits, right? I mean, could, could, could you tell us what they are, I suppose, and, and why business leaders should be thinking about them when, when scaling their company? Well, the, 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 the first one is um, it's really about the executive team. And, and so there are 10. And Vern Harnish looked at uh, Rockefeller's success and said, look, what was it that, that he did? And how could you codify that so that if you were to copy that, you might get success in your own business. And look, I'll just talk about the first one. The first one is that your that your leadership team consists of A players yeah. and that your leadership team uh, trusts each other. So often that's where we bring in something like Lencio and his five dysfunctions of a team. Do we really have trust? Do we really have enough constructive conflict? Um, often that's a challenge uh, to 
British teams who are perhaps a little bit too polite with each other. Um, and then do does the team have real clarity on what uh, what they're each accountable for? Do we? Because yeah. the lead, the thing is with the leadership team is is I don't believe your business can outperform your leadership team, which is yeah. which is the reason that I coach teams. Because if I can, if if that leadership team can become a high performing team, it casts a long shadow, and the behaviours that we get at the leadership team will automatically cascade through the organisation. So, you know, if I'm talking to somebody and they say, "Don, we just don't have account, we don't have a culture of an ac- accountability in our business," it, I, what they're saying, they don't realise this, but what they what they're saying is, we don't have a culture of accountability at the executive team level. Yeah, because if you did that culture would automatically flow down through the organization. So the first one is, you know, the first Rockefeller habit really is, is have you got the right leadership team in place? Yeah. And if you have, the rest of those things are possible. But if you haven't, then that's where you start. So talent assessment at the top, behaviors at yeah. the top, and then you can build a team that can take the company to where you want it to get to. Nice. Okay. Um, I suppose last last kind of, like question for you Dominic I mean is there an area I mean is there I mean what's the biggest area related to your role at the moment that you're most curious about um and and why I suppose um oh well I could answer that a couple of ways but one of the things that I find that I found uh both interesting and challenging is having the model that we've built is that we we work face to face with clients and we've built the management lab down on the farm in Wiltshire and clients come to us yeah. so that's the that's the business model that we've built and then of course covid comes along and and you can't meet any of your clients so you have to switch to virtual and then there's an upside to that which is we've done work with clients in Australia Vietnam and the United States since the pandemic began which we wouldn't have done otherwise and so you end up with an international flavor which is uh, which is interesting, but then the challenge is how do you make how do you make the virtual sessions as impactful as the face to face sessions? Yeah, and and that that challenge remains. And so I'm curious about how we do that and how we make that better. So that's that's been occupying a certain amount of the mentoring or coaching conversations I've had with other people, or even the competitive shopping. You know, uh, if somebody sends me an invite to a sort of interactive webinar session I, over the last six months, I've done quite a lot of gone on other people's stuff yeah, to yeah. see how see that how they're doing it, so we can pull that across. You know, yeah. we're using a tool called Mural, which allows us to be interactive. And in fact, now when we do, we did some face to face work with a client last week, and we actually used we actually got everyone on their laptops using a Mural in, or even though we were in the same room. Really, because <laughs> that because because it that, that that can sometimes drive consensus and speed, yeah, yeah. and so there was an exercise we were doing that was just taking too long. So I said, "Look, get your laptops out. Let's do it like this." Uh, it, that was just quicker than writing out physical post-it notes. Yeah. So it, so that's been. Uh, I still think we're about thirty or forty percent more productive when we do it face to face than than Zoom. Thinking about uh, client work or kickoff work that we've done over the last sort of six months um and so it's it's how do we how do we get how do we get the virtual to be uh as as helpful and as impactful for clients as the as we know the face-to-face is and that's where i remain i'm curious and, and trying to learn and develop yeah 
Nice. Well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Um, and we, we wish you the very best with the book and, and, and the future. Uh, but yeah, thank you for joining us. Jack, it's been absolutely magic. Thank you very much indeed for having me on. And we'll see you all next time. Okay, all the best. Bye.